But, and then we're going to jump into the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 25, actually. Uh, it's where I just felt like the Lord was leading us this morning to kind of talk through the building and our responsibility as a church. And so we'll be in Matthew 25, 14 through 30 in a bit. Uh, just to reiterate what Kyle said, we, we officially closed on the building on Friday, which is amazing. Um, for those of you that have been around for a while, this is sort of a long time coming. And actually, I was super emotional sitting there in the title office on Friday thinking, like, I cannot believe that the Lord gave us this. Like, it's just, it's a treasure in downtown Coeur d'Alene. And not that we don't care about all the people driving from everywhere to um, come be a part of this church community, but there's 7,000 people that live south of I-90. And to think that a church could have an impact on a neighborhood, 7,000 people's lives in the downtown corridor of Coeur d'Alene is pretty amazing to think about. And, uh, and it gets me pretty excited. But I wanted to acknowledge a, a couple people that have given a lot to uh, make this process happen. Um, I don't, is Renee in here? Is she in here yet? She's not in here yet. I think Heather went to go get her. Um, I'll, I'll acknowledge her in a second. But Renee, who's our director of finance and HR, she's put in a ton of time to prep all the paperwork and get this thing through. And it was like down to the wire on Friday and she was able to get it all done. And so I wanna thank, there she is. You guys can thank her. Yeah. It's a ton of work. Um, and just kind of like cool stories of God's faithfulness through this whole thing. Uh, the owner of the building is a believer and through this whole process has been really patient with us and really gracious with us. He could have sold the building for probably a million dollars over what we purchased it at and he chose to hold out for five months while we worked through this process and I'm really thankful for that. Uh, when I was texting with him on Friday, he's out of town and I was just saying like, thank you so much. Like, like God literally entrusted a building into yours and your wife's hands to hand the baton off to us. I mean, they put $300,000 into the building to set it up for something that's gonna get torn down to use as a church. And, um, and so through this whole process, there was part of him that was just like, why did God give me this building to begin with if I put all this time and money into it? And to see how God has brought this whole thing to fruition and to see him as part of the process has been really neat. And he said to me, you know, Chris, he said, I've been trying to memorize chapters of Proverbs. And he said, I've been going down to the building on my lunch breaks to just sit in one of those chairs and memorize scripture. And the, the building has meant a lot to me over the last few months. And my wife and I just feel really blessed that you guys are the ones who get to take it. And so um, it's been an amazing process. Uh, to also catch you guys up to speed, um, just in the 1960, or actually 1940s, Hayden Lake Friends Church had bought some ca a campground out on Twin Lakes uh, up in Rathdrum, and they bought this land and for back taxes. It was like $60 in back taxes that they got 26 acres for back then. And for years, that camp was used, and many, like dozens of people's lives were transformed through the work of that camp on that lake. And as camping ministry, if you guys haven't been around it much, um, it's just dwindled a lot over the last decade in the United States. There's just not a ton of camps anymore, and they're really hard to support, and they take a lot of time and effort and money to keep alive. And so several years ago, we had made the decision to sell this 
campground and we got like a little over a million dollars for this campground out on Twin Lakes that 60 or 70 years of people in our community had invested time and energy and money into praying that it would reach people for, for Jesus. And I feel overwhelmed when I think about the fact that as part of that, you know, Coeur d'Alene, Anthem Coeur received a few hundred thousand dollars of that money that has been sitting in the bank account for us and to see how the Lord would now take the money, that money on top of the generosity of this church that, you know, last year our giving went up and we ended the year like $200,000 over what we budgeted. That money added to the 300 that we have made the 500,000 that we were able to put down on this building. And it just is amazing to me to see how God impresses it upon people's heart and even the people who gave to a camp property 70 years ago to see that what they invested in that camp property, maybe the location has moved, but the heart and the desire of what God's gonna do through that property has not changed. And so to think that um, God has been just so faithful and good to us. And then we're sitting in the title office on Friday and with Seth, or I acknowledge Seth and Joel. Seth was our realtor who handled the whole thing for us. Seriously, this, this dude put a lot of time in, a lot of time in. And we're sitting there in the title office and I'm not, I told him I was gonna tell you guys this, but I didn't want to embarrass him. But it's just proof of God's faithfulness through this thing. But uh, Seth said to us after the, the woman that worked for the title company had left and it was just me and Renee and him sitting there and he said, you know, um, Joel and I had determined from the beginning of this that we would take the commission that we would get off this and give it back to the church. And he said, um, but you know, I work for a brokerage and the brokerage has their fees that have to come out of all of this as well. And so I was gonna give back my portion of it, but the brokerage takes theirs. He said, when I went to the brokerage and told them what I was doing with my fees, the brokerage said they wanna donate theirs. And so it's like 30 some thousand dollars that they're giving back. And so <clears throat> it's just overwhelming to watch God move through this process. So <clears throat> I want to jump in because I don't, I don't have a ton of time this morning to get through this passage. But um, Jenny, if you can put a pi the first picture of the building up. That's the building for those of you that <clears throat> haven't seen it. And it sits on about 0.83 acres down. Oh, it's behind me. I'm used to the TVs being right here. 0.83 acres downtown, uh, 7th and Wallace. Uh, there's 10 or 12 parking spots to the west and then 20-some parking spots to the north. It's just, it's pretty much a diamond in the rough in downtown. If you've looked for any commercial property downtown with parking, it doesn't exist. And it's pretty amazing that this thing was even there. Um, as we went, spent the last five months-ish doing our due diligence and trying to figure out what this was gonna look like and how we were gonna convert this space, we went back and forth with the contractors. And uh, several weeks ago, the contractor came to us and he basically said, listen, you know, we can try to pack as many people as we can into, you know, it's 7,300 square feet up top. And we needed kids space down below and some offices and whatnot. And he said, we can try our best to get about 200, I think it was 260 people in a room up top. And, um, and that would be like one aisle down the middle and everybody basically like packed to the walls. And we went and walked the building with them. And what we realized was, you know, if you put an, an 18 inch stage in there and it has this 10 foot drop ceiling, 
you know, you're already getting close to the ceiling and we thought we could go above the drop ceiling and open it up and then come to find out there's this crazy HVAC system in there that was um, movable but at a very high price. And so, uh, as well as there was this beam, this post that sat four feet in front of the stage, like, so right in the middle. So it was like, we, we kept going, we're just gonna make it work, we're gonna figure it out, and basically the contractor came back to us and said, honestly, you guys, like, the, the money that it's gonna cost me, if you guys ever wanted to remove that post, you wanted to move the HVAC out and put something new on top and try to open this up so you can get 260-ish people in that room, he's like, I think you guys should build out west and build a new building for the auditorium. And so we started entertaining um, these ideas with him and trying to figure out what this would take. And so I wanna show you guys a diagram of what it will be. Um, so this, this section over here, up till this point, over is the old building, the existing building. And this is a 400 seat auditorium that's basically two levels. It has like a mezzanine, 220 some seats on the ground and 120 up top. And our heart from the beginning was we had this crazy idea, like could we create a space that actually becomes multi-use for our community, for plays and concerts and movie premieres and like things that the city could use this space for. And, and, um, and so as he began to dream with us and create this space moving out, we're like, this actually could end up being what we had dreamt of from the beginning, but we're kind of pushing to the side because we were trying to make do with what we have. Um, so the reality of this though is that um, that in and of itself is about a $1.6 million venture to go out with existing building costs. And so our plan as of now, just to let you guys know, is to start renovations fairly immediately on the existing building and it'll get a kid's space, an office wing, a massive classroom so that we have space for Rooted, so that we have a space for our youth group, so that we have space for classes and bib ed stuff throughout the week. Um, so hopefully by the end of this year, we could be in that building utilizing it on the Monday to Friday. But the reality of our church meeting there on a Sunday probably doesn't exist for like a year. And so um, that's what we're gonna be working towards as we sort of raise money and begin to work towards that. The other blessing in all of this, just to be radically honest, is that um, when they came back with, Renee negotiated our interest rate down a half a point, and when they came back with our uh, monthly mortgage cost, it was $4,000 less than what we had thought it was gonna be, and what we had been budgeting for all this year, and so it actually, just multiple things in this have just been like God's thumbprint all over it. So anyway, that's the plan. Uh, it took a lot of time to get you guys through that, but I wanted to catch you guys up. When you go over there today, we'll have a, this diagram set up on an easel and you guys can kind of walk the property and see for yourselves what we're thinking. This still leaves us with about 40 parking spots uh, on the property itself, even after we build out over the existing 10 parking spots-ish to the west. And so anyway, that's it. Cool? All right. All right. I know I've told you guys before that I absolutely hate talking about money. Um, and if I'm honest, it's because I've always seen it spoken of and dealt with uh, in ways that actually become sort of ammunition for people's church hurt. Like they've just seen money used so horribly in the church. 
And um, so we've tried hard over the years to kind of skirt money and never make it about that um, because we never wanted people to think that's what we're about. And God's always faithfully provided for this church for almost 12 years now. But with this building, it's interesting. It puts us in a place where we sort of have to have some money conversations and talk through how this is going to get uh, funded and by the generosity of, of our church on multiple fronts, both in time and wisdom and finances. And so I hate talking about money for money's sake. I like talking about money when it's connected to generosity and the whole holistic, like the totality of your life. Uh, because that's the way I think that Jesus sort of pitches it. And so um, I want to pray, and then I want to jump into Matthew 25 this morning and have this conversation, and then um, we'll be done. All right, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you uh, for your church. I thank you for what you're doing here, God. You are on the move, and it's seriously amazing to watch. I thank you, Jesus, for the continued opportunities to basically have a front row seat to your faithfulness and watching you move over and over and over again. Jesus, you are so good. You constantly have come through for us. And so we trust you with all of this, Jesus. We, pr we place all of these plans in your hands, God. We ask that you ordain our footsteps, God, that you would in fact go before us in all of these things and open up doors that no man can open and shut doors that no man can shut. Jesus, we just give you this time this morning. I pray you'd use this text to speak to the condition of our own hearts, to challenge us, um, Lord, and to also open us up to sort of your kingdom economy, Lord, what it is that you're interested in what you've given us, Jesus. So bless this time. May you anoint it by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, I am often so proud of my kids. And uh, one of the things that seriously excites me about watching my kids grow up is watching the ability that my kids have to learn something. Any of you parents ever just intrigued by that? Watching the resiliency um, in your kids, like their ability to, to continue to learn, to continue to try to figure things out. And it's such a powerful quality. And I love watching the, the tenacity and the perseverance of my boys because oftentimes for me, it, it's quite challenging. The Lord uses it. And then the last six months, my oldest son wanted to learn to play guitar, and he's going to be super embarrassed that I'm talking about him this morning. But um, he wanted to learn to play guitar. And so we got him lessons from Jacob Maxwell, you know, like of season 16 of The Voice. Like what 16-year-old gets those kinds of guitar lessons? And... Um, and so he's been like playing guitar with Jacob and trying to learn how to play. And um, watching him over the months has been so encouraging because I sit in my room and I'll just listen to him picking. And it's like every now and then it's like, bing, bing, it's like the wrong note. And then he goes back and he starts all over again. And he starts playing it again, wrong note. He goes back through and he plays it all over again. And I just listen to him. And then I watch like my youngest son and the things he's learning. And it's like, there's no fear in him to take a shot at something, to take a risk at something, even if they're going to fail or not do it properly, and then go back and then try to figure out how to do it properly. When I was growing up, I was really into skateboarding and snowboarding. Now, for those of you that grew up in that culture, how many of you grew up skateboarding or snowboarding? How many of you know you don't learn anything unless you take some really hard falls, right? Like snowboarding, it was, I didn't care. Like you bashed your head, you're hurting, your back's tweaked. You're like, I'm going to go do it again. You know, until I get this down and land this trick, I'm just going to keep doing it. 
And there was something about my, in my youth, being willing to put myself in those positions to go out, try something, and even if you don't get it, get back up, go back, try it again until you actually figure it out. There's something about watching somebody take a risk, fail, get back up again, and try it until they get it. Now, what I've loved about watching this in my kids is that it reminds me of the fact that there's this spiritual principle at play here. For a child, you can keep doing things and not landing the trick or not getting it right, and you just keep doing it until you get it. But here's the unfortunate thing about getting older, is the older we get, the more calculated we become. And at some point, we have the tendency to say, you know, I probably shouldn't do this anymore. And sometimes you can call that wisdom, right? If you're 45, you're like, I'm gonna huck myself off that thing. It's like, ah, use some wisdom, brother. That's probably not smart. But we become so calculated in things that we actually remove ourselves from being willing to take the risk or to learn something that we once were willing to sort of put ourselves out there and try to figure it out. And so as it relates to following Jesus, I think this is also really important because, you know, there's, there's a time when we all get saved and we, we give our lives to Jesus and we start to grow a little bit and we start to think to ourselves, like, I really want to be all that God wants me to be. Like everything he has in store for me, I want to be that person. And then life happens. And then you sort of, like, sometimes you stick the landing, and sometimes you don't stick the landing, and you're forced to sort of figure it out, and sometimes you end up with road rash from the landing, and you're trying to figure it out, but you get back up, but the older you get, and the more sort of beatings that you've taken, and life that you've gone through, the more you convince yourself to not put yourself in those situations anymore. And then before you know it, my experience at 42, walking with a lot of people who have been on fire for Jesus and I've just watched them fizzle out and not care anymore, is that before you know it, you start living this life that you're like, I don't really know whose life this is anymore. I, I don't think it's the one that Jesus had for me. And so I, I wanna share from this parable this morning which is one of these stories that Jesus told. And it's this parable that teaches us that we actually need to use what God has given us. What has he given you? How will you use it to leverage it for his kingdom? And there will always be risk involved in that. And this parable that I wanna share with you is one that we know is the parable of the talents. A parable that's been super meaningful in my own life. So open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Say word when you get there. Are you guys all tracking? I only have two hours left, so you're good. You know, we're already 20 minutes in. Verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his, to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts with them. So let's stop there for a second. There's this man that's obviously very wealthy because he's about to travel to this far country. Not everybody has the freedom to do that. And so he calls some of his own servants together 
and he entrusts them with his property. So to one of his servants, he gives five talents. To another servant, he gives two talents. And then finally to one, he gives just one talent. And so when we hear this English word talent, understand that what we call a talent nowadays actually comes from this passage in the Bible. We call it a skill. We call it like something that we're gifted at or that we're good at. Um, but in the Bible, the word talent, like in the Jewish culture, was actually a unit of exchange. It was a currency. And depending on what community you were in, the talent had different weights, different measures. And so they didn't have a standardized currency as we do today, although maybe with like all the cryptos, we don't have a standardized one anymore either. But this talent was this massive sum of money. Uh, by most conservative estimates, they would say that it would have been about 20 years worth of wages for the average person, for one talent. So what you realize, first of all, is that this man who's delivering these talents is a wealthy man. Giving somebody five talents would be the equivalent of 100 years wages for the average person. It's a ton of money. And so he's delivering to the servants this large sum of money, not small sums of money, a large sum of money. And he's giving to each one of his servants according to their ability. So this man is not under any obligation to give any of the servants any certain amount of money, but he gives to them and then he goes away and he leaves. And so in order for us to sort of apply this to our lives, this parable begins to tell us something really important that I think we need to grab hold of this morning. And if you don't hear anything else, I hope you hear this that you are all stewards. You are all stewards. You're all stewards. We don't use this word steward very much in our average lives, but a steward is somebody who realizes that what they have is not their own. It's something that's been, everything they have is something that's been entrusted to them. And so you see there's these three servants that were entrusted with the resources of this very wealthy individual, and they're expected to broker those resources on his behalf. And so the servant would have made their livelihood based on how well they brokered the master's resources. So for a wealthy person to entrust five talents or two talents or one talent to these people, it actually was pretty common. And their job was to make money for their boss, but they also make money for themselves in the process. It's part of their job. And it's amazing that Jesus uses investment baking as the setting for the story. It's interesting. So I, I, now I say that, that we're all stewards because I think what, what you have to realize is that nothing you have is yours alone. Nothing. Nothing you have is yours. It's all been entrusted to you. And that's the whole point of this parable. The point is that what you have, the gifts, the talents, the skills, the life, the life that you have, the, the time that you have, all of this has been given to you by somebody else. It's been entrusted to you by God. And so God holds each one of us responsible for how we broker the gifts and the talents that he's placed within our grip. And I think this is so important because I think maybe the single greatest issue in our world today is the fact that people don't realize that they're stewards. People have these gifts and these talents, so to speak, and everybody's sort of driving them like they stole them. You know what I mean? Doing whatever they want with what, with what they have. And the problem is, is that you did steal it. It's not yours. 
but you're driving it like it's not yours. Not taking care of it, not utilizing it the way that your master would have you use it. And so if you and I live our lives in such a way that we forget like the very basis of who we truly are, that we're stewards of the gifts that God has entrusted to us, then you'll always end up with a life that misses God's great purpose that he has for you. You'll always end up experiencing things that are outside of what God had. And, And so this is becoming too common today. Like Paul the Apostle wrote in Colossians chapter three that whatever you do, he said, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. This is the key to life, honestly. The the point in which you realize that you're not the owner of your life and so many people So many people in this day and age are running around thinking that they're self-made, aren't they? Thinking that they can make themselves, that they're responsible for what they have, that they've built it themselves. And I want to challenge that a little bit today. That way of thinking is totally wrong and totally unbiblical. And I can explain it in five seconds, right? Because how dare we say that we've worked hard to acquire the skills that we have? Who gave them to you? The Lord. The Lord. Because here's the thing, is every breath in your lungs came from him. It's a gift. The the fact that your heart is beating and that you're here right now, it's a gift. The, The fact that you had enough food to make it this far in life is a gift from the Lord. The fact that your body was able to utilize all of these resources is a gift. And those innate abilities that you have, guess what? Those were placed in you as a gift. Even the passion you have to hone those skills over days and weeks and months and years, like to put in your 10,000 hours to become the master at whatever you're working towards, even that in and of itself is a gift. And so we are not self-made people. You've been entrusted with amazing potential and the abilities that you have are a gift from God. And so whatever those things are, we're supposed to do them heartily as unto the Lord. And this is the key to life, when you realize that your life is not your own. I mean, what a cool transition in life. I don't know about any of you that, uh, I hate to call myself older, but the older I get, the more I realize like, wow, this, my life is really not my own. It can be taken from me in any instant. Like, this really is his. Everything is his. And the fact that all of these gifts, they were given to us by God, it's why some people can sing, and you actually stand next to them, and you enjoy what you hear, right? And there's other people that sing, and you're like, oh, good Lord, will you please shut up? Like, you should probably not use that gift. You know what I mean? I'm sure there's something else there that you can use, but that's not it. There's things that can't be trained, skills that you can't necessarily learn based on how you're wired, how God built you, what he's called you to. Like he gives, he distributes these as he wills. And so here's the question you have to ask yourself, is how are you doing at being a steward? Or are you one of those people who's taken your life and you're sort of driving it your own way, doing whatever you want? And 
See, the, the, this entire parable is forcing us to look at how we live our lives. And we live in this culture that loves success. Like, who doesn't like success? But I heard it said that there's nothing worse than being successful at something that ultimately doesn't matter. And that's sort of the, the great tragedy in all of this, right? Is either becoming successful or being successful in the things that do not matter. And so I'm here to tell you that if you don't realize that you're a steward, no matter what you do, you're going to be one of those people who can be successful at something that ultimately has no purpose. It's not eternal. Well, well God is wanting us to live for something way greater than what we think. And so this man gives each one of his servants their talents. The first guy gets five, another gets two, the last one gets one, and then they all, they all get a different amount. And what you find is that the, this man then leaves and he goes to this foreign country, and then look what happens in verse 16. He would receive the five talents, win at once, and he traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent, he went and dug in the ground and he hid his master's money. And now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts with them that he would receive the five talents when he traded with them and, and made another five talents. And likewise, he would receive two who gained more, but he would receive one, went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And then after a long time, the Lord, sorry, went and settled the accounts with them. And so here's the thing that what we're gonna find is that God actually expects us to invest something. I want you to take money off the table this morning because that's just the easy thing that we, that we immediately go to. Oh, God wants me to play the stock market. That's not what I'm saying this morning. What I'm saying, though, is how are you spending your life in a holistic way are you spending it on the things that make eternal impact, that actually will reap a reward, not necessarily for you, but will reap a reward eternally? And there's this expectation from God that you invest in the gifts and the talents that he's entrusted to you. And so the first guy goes out and he begins to do business and he begins to invest those talents and he makes more talents. He had five, and he goes out. He's not worried about what any of the other guys have. He invests his five, and he makes five more. But it says the guy with one takes and he buries it. And so out of these three servants, two of them go out and invest, and the other one chooses not to. But here's the thing that you have to realize as it relates to investing. The problem with investing is that there's risk involved, right? There's risk involved. But what I want you to see this morning is that there's also risk involved for not doing anything at all. No matter what you do, whether you go out and you invest what God's given you or whether you hold on to what God has given you because you're scared to invest what you have, either way, you're sort of assuming risks in your life. And ultimately, what you're gonna find is that the greatest risk is not doing anything at all. It really is. Because there's this expectation from this person who's entrusted all things to their service that they're gonna go, they're gonna go and invest it so that it might gain a reward, that it might be profitable. 
And so here's what happens to each one of us, is what's amazing about the story is that you don't know the backstory about any of these servants, do you? We don't know anything about them. Think about the guy who took one and buried it. Do, do we necessarily know why he went and did that? Like maybe at one point in his life, we don't know, maybe he was really successful, maybe he was this business person, maybe he lost it all in the Great Recession, maybe he got swindled by somebody. Like we're, we aren't told why he chose not to engage and invest, but what's amazing in the story is that it actually doesn't even matter why, because either way, the wealthy landowner expected them to take that money and broker it on his behalf. And so I'm here to tell you that God expects the same from us. It's not by chance that I'm sharing this message today. Like, I know it's on a day where we're talking about this building, and I hate talking about money, I hate asking for money, it's not my style, but the reality is that Jesus talks about money in 11 of his 40 parables that he shares. 11 of the 40 are about money. Why would Jesus talk so much about money? Because money is the thing that owns us. We give everything for money. We give anything to stack the bank account, find something more, more valuable, make more money, build a bigger career. We would give anything to do these things. And so money has this crazy potential to just wreak havoc on people's hearts when it's not held open-handed as though it was entrusted to you by the Lord to steward it on his behalf. This goes for your whole life. It's not just about your funds. When I first came to know Jesus, one of the first passages that I like teed off on, at that time I was a snowboarder, and I read this passage, and I was like, yes, I know what my gift is. And it was 1 Peter 4.10. You know, anybody know what that says? It says, each one has received a gift. It says, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Verse 11, he goes on to say, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. As a 17-year-old kid, I read that and I went, Jesus, what do I have that you want me to give? I don't have money. I don't have a career. I'm not even sure what I'm talented at. I know the things that I enjoy. I, I, I think I know the pockets of people that you put me in and what I have to offer to be able to be a blessing to these people. Like snowboarding was it. Hence the infancy of border for, Borders for Christ was simply because I'm reading a passage and I'm like, uh, what do I have? Snowboard, all right, use that for God's glory. Like that's all I got. And God used it. As stupid as a snowboard and a skateboard, God used it for his glory. But notice that it says in that passage, as each one of us has received a gift. Not if. It says has. As each one has received a gift. Let that person minister to who? One another. You see how this works? Like as people who are good stewards of God's multifaceted grace, as we're created to do, as you minister, you do it with the strength that God supplies by the power of his spirit, not so that you get any glory for it, but so that God gets the glory, and that's what a steward is. A steward does what needs to be done on behalf of his Lord, and the Lord gets the benefit, and the weird thing is, is that we get a benefit too, but it doesn't always come in the form that we thought it would. Like, I'd never stand up and be like, you know, you guys should give 10% of your money to Anthem, 
and tithe it because the Lord's gonna replenish that 10%. And in fact, he's gonna give you 10% more. That's like horrible theology. And actually, if you wanna get into like New Testament tithing, it's more like, give me everything, it's all mine, and whatever you get to keep, like, amen. You know what I mean? It's probably like, give me 90%, and you're lucky to keep 10, you know? But by God's grace, we get to keep anything at all. It's all his. Verse 19, and then I, I'm, gonna, I'm not even gonna make it through this whole thing this morning, but verse 19, he says, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts with them. In this parable, it's about Jesus, right? It's, it, it's, he's the gift giver. He goes away for a long time, and then when he comes back, he does an accounting. And so I, I'm sort of here to drop one bomb on you this morning, that there is a judgment that happens, right? That Jesus comes back, to find who's done what with what he's given them. And unfortunately, the thing goes on with regards to the guy who gives one, and it says that he'll go to where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, like utter darkness, and it's like, oh my gosh, you know? Like, so if I don't use what God's given me, am I gonna go to the weeping and gnashing of teeth? And I'll satiate some of your fears right now that if you are in Jesus, you're good. But I will tell you this, he cares a ton about how you spend your life, a ton. He cares a bunch about how you allocate the life and breath he's given you, how you allocate the resources he's given you, how you allocate the talents and the skills and the abilities that God has given you. He cares a ton about that. And the reality is this, is that our culture, I think, doesn't value faithfulness. Like, it's just not part of our culture, but God does. Like, our, our culture doesn't look at faithfulness as this amazing goal to set forth. Like, look at marriage today. Like, faithfulness in marriage just, it almost seems like it doesn't exist anymore. Like, it's just become so watered down. There was a day and age, imagine this, like the younger people in this room, there was a day and age when you got a job and you worked at a company for your entire life. You're like, ah, I need options, you know, like every two years, I need to try something new. Like, that's the, that's the culture that we live in. You look at sports today, and like, my, my son's a football freak, and we'll sit there and watch it, and he's like talking about a dude that's been with the team for a long time, and he's making tons of money, and he's like, oh, dad, I think they're gonna trade him. And I'm like, why? Well, they've gotta prepare for the next, the, the next like, season of guys, and they gotta prep the team for 10 years from now. And I'm like, that really sucks, you know? This guy's given a lot of time and effort to this, and he's been paid a lot of money, and now you're just gonna throw him away. Like, faithfulness just isn't a thing. There was a day and age when I was a kid, when there were guys playing for the same team their whole life. You guys remember that, anybody? <laughs> like it existed. And it just seems as though faithfulness, like being faithful in life, walking this out, actually taking what he's given us and being faithful to Jesus with our lives is just something that's almost taboo nowadays. 
Proverbs 26 says, most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? And people can say whatever they want, but really what we want is faithfulness. And what's interesting is for the guy who got the five, he wasn't judged against the person who got the two. The master just asked, what did you do with what I gave you? And his faithfulness is simply that he's stewarding what he was given. And he said, well done, good and what? Faithful servant. He says, you've been faithful in the little things. I want to give you greater things. And then the capper on it all, enter into the joy of your master. Amen? But it requires something of us. And so I'll end with this. Um, I'm not going to deep dive into this passage this morning, and we'll probably get back to this passage in another three years once we get to Matthew 25. But in light of us sort of closing on this building and this next season that exists for our church, Looking to the future of Anthem CDA, God has asked us to steward this. Like, this isn't ours. This is his. It's not Chris's church. It's not the staff's church. It's not our elders. This is Jesus' church that he's asked us to steward. And I want to paint a quick picture for you. And the picture has so many facets and colors. But it has one primary theme. Stewardship. And as a pastor, this is what I pray for, a community of people dedicating their lives to Jesus Christ, like 100%. And in doing so, how we steward what he's given us is of utmost importance to the mission of Jesus in our city. He's not reliant on you, but he's called you into partnership with him to reach this city. 7,000 people south of I-90 that he's asked us to partner with him in reaching because there is a day coming when Jesus is coming back for his bride. We have this amazing opportunity to be the ones to go forth to help cultivate the flock of Jesus for his return, to pave the way, to sort of set the path, to get, him, to get everybody ready for Jesus' return. We get this amazing opportunity to partner with him. But Jesus cares more about the advancement of his kingdom on this earth than anything else. And while he's away from here, like this master, he's asked us to be at his service, using what he's given us to prepare the way for his return, using what he gave us to bring a return on the investment. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And as I thought long and hard this week, tying back to what I said earlier, the thing I learned so much from my kids is that they try and they keep trying and they put themselves out there. And as we grow older, we figure out how to mitigate risk more and more in our life. But it seems as though the element of willingness to take risk is what the master looked at and actually blessed. And so I'm gonna be really honest with you guys. Do you guys all remember the first house that you bought? Anybody? Was there like a little bit of excitement and a little bit like, you're gonna poop yourself? Like this is like a massive step. Like this whole week, I've just been like, I'm so excited about this. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna pull my hair out. I don't have hair to pull out. Like I, this is crazy, you know? But the reality is, is that Jesus does have a plan and a purpose in this city. 
The other reality, and I've told you this before, is that there's a lot of old churches in downtown Coeur d'Alene that are dying. And who knows what the footprint of the church looks like in this downtown corridor in 100 years. But I'll tell you something. You go to any of those old churches and 100 years ago when they were planted and they started putting the first board up, those people weren't just praying for the people of the city that that church was gonna reach in that first five years. They were praying for the people that it was gonna reach 100 years from now. And the reality is, is that we're building a church for our kids, for the generations to come in Coeur d'Alene. It may not be called Anthem Coeur d'Alene in 50 years. I probably won't be the pastor of it at that point. Maybe it's Judah, I don't know. Um, but at some point, batons get passed off and what we're investing in now is something that's actually gonna continue to pay dividends for generations to come. We cannot look at this as like, oh man, we're spending a lot of money draining the bank account so that we can get a building in downtown Coeur d'Alene. What we need to realize is that we have an opportunity to reach a neighborhood for 100 years. We're passing this off the same way that people pass churches off to us, the camp, Hayden Lake Friends, like they've been so generous over the years to continue to invest in us that the, the investment 50 years ago is continuing to pay dividends 50 years later. And I want that for our church. And so I'm asking you as we prayerfully consider what does our contribution look like for this building, I don't know what you have to give. Some of you may be above. Some of you could be $100. Some of you could say, I can throw a hammer around. Sweet. What can we do? How do we pitch in? How does this become like an old-fashioned barn raising for a church to actually take ownership of something and say, we care enough about our city that we're going to create the venue that's literally going to be a beacon of light and hope to this downtown community and reach people that nobody else is reaching? That's what we want to do. It's going to require risk on all of us in order to make that happen. So, let me pray and ask the, the worship team to come up. And I'd ask you to stand with me. And I'm gonna ask you to be charismatic and put your hands in the air. Some of you are like, eh, I'm not into that. I don't care. Put your hands in the air. <laughs> and I want you to speak in tongues. No, I'm kidding. All right, we're not gonna do that. Uh, <laughs> but I wanna pray. And I wanna thank Jesus for what he's doing and what he's going to do in advance. And I wanna ask him to work in our hearts because even as a pastor, some, sorry, your hands are still in there, keep them up. <laughs> even as a pastor, the reason people have issues with money is because pastors go to churches and ask for money and they're not willing to put up money themselves. And I'm telling you, the conversation in my own family, in our staff, with our elders is what do we have? We're not asking for something that we're not willing to give ourselves, we're all going to give because this is a family effort to make this thing happen. And it's an investment that I think is worthwhile that will continue to reap dividends for 100 years to come. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your church. I thank you for each individual in this room, God. You have them here for a time and a purpose. And I pray, God, even as we stand before you this morning, that you be at work in people's hearts. Because I know even as we talk about the excitement of a building, that the reality is there's people in this room whose marriages are on the rocks and who are struggling in areas of their life. And they struggle to even lift their hands up right now because there's so much inner turmoil that's going on in them. And I pray, Jesus, that you meet them in this place. As we call upon you, Jesus, the only one that can satiate the most painful, difficult things 
things in our life that we're going through. The only one that knows every hair that is on our head, the only one that knows every breath that we breathe is you, Jesus. And so you know where each person in this room is at this morning. I pray that you'd draw near to them, that they'd be with you, God, that they find your peace, your rest, your clarity, your wisdom by your spirit. We give this building to you, Jesus, as there's only... 400 people in this room, but we know there's 400, 1,000, 2,000 more to reach in the downtown area that need to know. They need clarity. They need wisdom. They need to know the hope and the salvation of Jesus. And so I'm praying, God, that you'd use all those with their hands up this morning as the beacons of hope and light to reach our city for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would be a people that though we fall, though we make mistakes, are constantly asking the question, what do I have and what is God asking me to give? Will we be a selfless people that care more about the investment we're making in the future than we do about stacking our own bank accounts and stacking our own lives and building our own kingdoms? Jesus, have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.